Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Hey, friends, happy Easter. I am so glad that you guys are joining us today, and I am so pumped. I've been pumped for months about this Easter Sunday, and here's why. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is worthless, and you should just turn this video off right now. Like, it doesn't make any sense. However, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then we have to engage with his message. And now, my friends, we've been walking through for the past five weeks leading up to Easter a series on suffering. And many of us have been struggling. We've been suffering with many different things. And so I want to begin our time today with a message of hope from the last pages of the Bible. Here's what it says in Revelation, starting in verse 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." He will dwell with him, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. My friends, this is incredible amount of hope that we have for today. But the question that we have to wrestle with is that how in the world can we hope in this? Because this seems like such a far cry from what you and I see today. Because whereas this text is saying, behold, I am making all things new, You and me know and experience that things are growing old and decaying. Our bodies are, our minds are, the world is under decay. So how can we wrestle with the fact that God is saying, I am making all things new and yet also wrestling with the brokenness that we see in the world around us? And my friends, this is both the joy and the paradox of Easter. This is hope. There's actually a hope that Jesus brings that is greater than Buddha, Allah, Krishna, better than military career, business advancement, better than children succeeding, better than your relationship with your significant other, better than life itself. And here's the hope. The hope is that Jesus's life ushers into the world a redeeming hope that, re- that renews you today and will one day bring, bring renewal into the world globally. So that's what we're talking about today is how Jesus's life, it ushers into the world a redeeming hope that renews you today and will one day bring the world into a global renewal. So I want to start our time this morning with a story, the story of God. 
You see, a long time ago, there was a garden called Eden. Now, God created the entire world by speaking it into existence, but he specifically planted the Garden of Eden himself. And then he created the first two humans, Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the special Garden of Eden and gave them everything that they needed. Everything was perfect. There was no brokenness, no shame, no disconnection, sin, death, or fighting. There was only togetherness and peace and flourishing and thriving. Everything was looking bright. They had an infinite hope for the future. Now you see, in the Garden of Eden, there was one tree that God said not to eat of. But an evil serpent came and he tempted Adam and Eve to sin and they ate from that one tree. And then the perfect garden was instantly broken. Shame, disconnection, fighting, and death entered into the world. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden that God had planted for them, and their lives became really, really hard. Hope was lost. But as they left the Garden of Eden, God promised them that one day a Savior would come and save them, that this promised Savior would deliver a crushing blow to the evil serpent who represented sin and death in the world, and that he would bring a renewal inside of them and a renewal back to the world. Hope was reintroduced. And thousands of years go by, but there is no promised Savior. Sin, death, and brokenness still reigned in the world in vicious cycles of suffering and sinning. See, this new hope was promised, but it was not yet revealed. And then one day, in a little town in Israel called Bethlehem, a child is miraculously born to a virgin. And miraculous events surround his miraculous birth. People prophesy that this baby was this promised savior. Wise men travel from far away following a star to worship this, at this little child's feet. Angels appear in the sky on the night of his birth and proclaim his arrival. His parents are showered with gifts. This is a special baby and hope begins to stir in the world. Now you see, this baby grows up to be a man. He's a normal carpenter, but at 30 years old, he changes his profession and becomes a teacher. And he invites people to follow him. And he begins to teach that his father is God himself. And he says that he is this promised savior. Now, and then he talks about a new way of living, free from brokenness, disconnection, free from sin, free from death itself. And he starts talking about this global renewal that he is going to bring into the world. Now, people are confused by this message. But this man begins to do miraculous things. He calms raging seas with a word. He heals the sick with a touch. And he raises the dead by the word of his power. So many people are filled with hope and begin to follow him. Men, women, even crowds are following him. Hope is rising in the world around this man. But while hope begins to rise, the, the world also did not understand him. And the religious elite of the day were threatened by this man who claimed to be the son of God. And so they planned to murder him. One of his own followers betrays him and the religious people got the state to approve of his execution. 
This promised Savior who healed many and taught of this new way of living, who was teaching about bringing the world into renewal, he actually lived a completely perfect life. This man was executed by being murdered and hung on a cross, and hope seemed to die with him. This promised Savior who was murdered was then placed into a tomb, and a heavy stone was rolled in front of the tomb because there were rumors that this promised Savior had mentioned that he would die and after three days rise again. And on the third day after his death, faithful women visit this man's tomb. They go to his tomb to make sure that his body was properly taken care of. While the rest of the teacher's followers were cowardly, they were hiding because they were afraid that they were going to be killed too. These faithful women were brave and they went to the tomb of their teacher. They went to the tomb of a man whose name is Jesus. He claimed to be the promised savior of the world and yet had died and was placed in a tomb. And this is where we come to our text on this Easter morning. This is Luke 24, starting in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, these women, went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find his body, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, my friends, it was customary to take care of a person's body after they had died. They would essentially put spices and other things within his um, wrappings of his, his burial wrappings, and they were supposed to, the spice was supposed to preserve the body. And so they were attempting to care for Jesus. Now, I want you to notice something very important here, that the men were cowardly, the men were hiding, but the women were the ones who were faithful. Now, here's the deal. If the authors in the first century AD, if they were writing fiction, they would never write this into the story of Jesus. Because remember, back then in the first century AD, women couldn't vote. Most of them could not work. They were considered their husband's property. And actually, most importantly, and most pertinent to the story, is that their testimony was not admissible in court. They could not have a testimony or a voice in court because they they were not believed to be accurately remembering the events of their past. Now, what's so interesting is that these women are the first people that would observe the empty tomb of Jesus. And if the authors just wanted people to believe this, they would not have made it up like this. They would have said that men would went and men would then carry the message. So I just think that that's very interesting and important that if this was a fiction, this wouldn't have been written. It wouldn't make sense to write this as fiction in this first century AD. But let's move on in the story. While they were perplexed about this, clearly the stone was rolled away. There's nothing in there. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. We see from other gospels and other accounts that these are two angels. And the women were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. 
Now, I find it very interesting, and we mentioned this in the story of God just a minute ago, that dazzling, frightening angels appear at the birth of Jesus to announce his entry into the world. And in like fashion, dazzling, frightening angels appear at the resurrection of Jesus to announce his victory over death. And Jesus had kept telling his disciples, I am going to die and rise again. And either they didn't listen or they didn't understand. But these women are told now plainly what had happened. And then I want to just point for a brief moment, there's this strange question that the angels, these dazzling men, ask the women. He said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, I have a question for us on this Easter morning. What graveyards do you turn to to find life? How many tombs do you enter looking for life when there is only death? Maybe for some of us, it's the tomb of relationships, right? Looking to receive value from sex or love or affection from others. Maybe for some of us today, it's the tomb of work or success or money. Looking to receive worthiness by how much we achieve or the titles that we earn. Or maybe it's the tomb of legacy. Maybe it's looking to place the weight of all of our hopes and dreams onto our children's successes or on our image, or on our happiness. My friends, we often look to temporary things to give us life. And they do for a moment, but then it dies off. And we often go crawling back into the dead places of our life, looking for life and satisfaction. And my friends, the message of Jesus today is that we are called to come to the only tomb that will ever save us, an empty one, a victorious one. That's what the invitation of Jesus is for us today. Let's go back and see how these women respond. Luke 24, verse 8. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And it says they remembered the words, and clearly they believed them. They believed the angels that Jesus was risen. They believed what their eyes saw. They remembered what Jesus had told them. And then they have to act, my friend. They left the tomb. And here's why they did it. Because when your friend rises from the dead after being brutally murdered in front of your eyes, you don't just hang around. That actually begins to change you. You don't just meander in a garden. You have to go back. You have to tell people this is life-altering, life-transforming. And those women carried the ripples of the message that you and I are still feeling to this day begin to reverberate out of these faithful women that left the garden. You have to act. And we see that Jesus does rise from the dead. Now, you can believe, you can believe it or not, but this is what the Bible says. And you can actually go to the tomb of Jesus today and see that it is empty. But the question that we have to ask is, why is Jesus being alive so important? Now, I'm going to put a series of graphics on the screen right now. And I'm going to walk us through why Jesus being alive is truly so life-transforming. You see, when we turn on our television, or even when we look in the mirror we see that the world around us is broken. It is marred. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. But when we look at the beginning pages of the Bible, 
we see that God created the world good and true and beautiful, filled with love and grace. And Adam and Eve were experiencing that fullness of love. But as we looked at earlier on in the sermon, we saw that Adam and Eve chose to run away from God. And when they rejected him, they interjected brokenness into the world. And that's why our world is broken. But you see, what we all try to do in one way, shape, or form is we try to resolve this brokenness ourselves. Some of us try to run away from it. We try to distract ourselves, right? We try to um, use drugs or alcohol or sex or video games to try to distract us from how broken the world is. Others of us try to just overwork. We think that if I can work harder, if I can appear moral, if I can appear good, if I can appear successful, if I can get enough money, then maybe I will somehow be okay. Others of us just are consumed by the world, right? And just say, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. Might as well just do whatever I want to. None of these work. But you see, what God did is that God sees us and he said, I don't want to leave you in this brokenness. And so what God does is God comes down to earth in the person of Jesus. And he lives a completely perfect life because he's God. And then the Bible says that Jesus died on a cross as we looked at earlier. Now, it's so important for us that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our brokenness. And I think it's worth just a minute, like what did Jesus do on the cross? What did he do here in the story that actually changes us from leaving this broken state and going back to where we were originally created to be? What actually is the significance of Jesus dying on the cross? Well, I want to present you with another graphic is that, um, and it's actually from a text of scripture in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, which says, for our sake, he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, my friends, you and I are on the left here. We are born broken, and in this broken world, and the brokenness both is around us, but it resides in us. But you see, because Jesus was perfect, he was completely perfect. And that's kind of represented by that yellow circle on the right hand side. Jesus was completely perfect in every way. And so when Jesus went on the cross, the Bible says that he made him, God made Jesus to become sin, to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus was perfect. And so look at what happens on the cross. Jesus takes all of our guilt, all of our shame, and all of our sin and brokenness, right? On the cross, if we choose to believe in Jesus, our sin is transferred to Jesus on the cross. And if that was all that happened and Jesus died, then that would leave you and me morally neutral. We could just be filled back up again with the same brokenness that's around us. It would just come right back inside of us. But that's why the second part of this passage is so important, so that in him we may might become the righteousness of God. You see, what happens is, is that 
as we choose to believe in Jesus, our sin and shame and guilt is already placed on Jesus on the cross right now. Jesus said he died for the sins of the whole world. Now, what happens is, is that when we choose to believe that for us, when we choose to repent and follow Jesus, what happens is, is that becomes effective for us. Our guilt and shame and sin is placed on Jesus. And then he gives us his perfection, his perfect record, his righteousness. And then on the cross, when Jesus died and because Jesus rose again, Jesus conquered the power of death that on the cross, Jesus put to death our sin and shame and guilt. And all we need to do is to believe in Jesus. We need to repent of trying to save ourselves and turn towards Jesus, which takes us back to this graphic is that Jesus on the cross does so many things for us. He becomes the embodiment of our sin so that you and I might, if we choose to follow him, take on his righteousness, take on his rightness. But it doesn't just end there. He didn't just die. Jesus rose again. And he did that to prove that he was God. He did that to prove that he was who he says he was. Now, my question for you is this. Do we want to stay in this brokenness? Or do we want to go back to how God originally intended for us to be? Now, I think any reasonable human being would say, no, I don't want to live in the brokenness. I want to go back to love and joy and peace and harmony, right? So here, the question is, how do we get from brokenness to restoration? Well, this going back to what we have been talking about is we must repent and have faith. The Bible says that all that's required is repentance and faith. Now, what does it mean to repent? It's just very simple. We turn from all the ways that we try to save ourselves. We're going in a certain direction. We turn, we turn in the opposite direction. That's all that repentance is. It's just turning in the opposite direction. And so just acknowledging that we can't save ourselves or solve the problem of brokenness in the world on our own. Now, the second thing that God says that we need is faith. Now, faith is simply three things. It is H-B-O. We must first hear this message, which, by the way, congratulations, you're already doing. You're on the first step of faith. The second thing that is required is that we must believe, and not just believe in a general sense, but believe in a very specific sense that you and me need this message for us. And finally, we need to obey. And the Bible says that we obey this message by making Jesus Lord and King over our life. This means that you give your life to Jesus and you say, I have a new master. I have a new commander over my life. And when I have a new master and a commander, that means that he controls my actions, not me. And what happens with that is that when you and I truly do this, when we choose to repent and we have faith, we hear, believe, and obey the message, what happens is, is that Jesus begins to transform us. He begins to make us more like him over a lifetime. And what that does is it brings us back to where we would have been as if the fall had never happened. And so Jesus comes to earth as God. He dies on the cross for our sins. He resurrects on the third day to prove it. And all we need to do is repent we have faith, we hear, believe, and obey this message. And when we truly believe this, when we truly believe this message, our lives are forever changed. 
my friends, as we just saw, Jesus is not surprised at our brokenness. He's actually very familiar with it. And he's not just familiar with our brokenness. He is drawn to it. And he was not just drawn to our brokenness, but he became the embodiment of our brokenness on the cross. And he did not just become the embodiment of our brokenness, but my friends, he conquered our brokenness. And I want to share with you an incredible quote from a theologian called Gihardus Voss. And this is what he says as it relates to the victory of Christ. Brethren, when Christ rose on Easter morning, he left behind him in the depths of the grave every one of our sins. There they remain buried from the sight of God so completely that even in the day of judgment, they will not be able to rise up against us any more. This is good news. And not only do we see that, that Jesus' life, Jesus rising from the dead and his death is so vitally important for the salvation of all of humanity, but we see that his life can truly renew us, that Jesus rising from the dead can save us, can give us hope if we believe in him. That's why I say they can renew us. Look with me at Titus 3, 4 to 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. My friends, the essential message of Jesus is that you cannot do works. There's not based on works done by us in righteousness that we can be saved. The essential message of Christianity is that you can't work, earn, or fight for your renewal and your regeneration. That you have to come to Jesus in weakness and bring two things, as we mentioned, repentance and faith, hearing, believing, and obeying the message of Jesus. And if you do those things, you will be renewed as you make Jesus Lord over your life and receive his work on your behalf. And my friends, if you do this, you will be renewed. But not only will you be renewed for you, but you'll be renewed with the same power that Jesus is going to use one day to renew the entire world. Now, this is what gets us to our last point, is that Jesus' life will renew the entire world. Look with me at what Jesus says about this in Matthew 19. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. My friends, Jesus says something absolutely remarkable that I want to break down here for a few minutes. He is saying that when you follow him in repentance and faith, that there is a place that we are going together. We're actually going to a new world together, that this world, this life that we're living is moving us towards something. It's moving us towards a global, a universal renewal of all things. And he uses this word regeneration, which is what Titus 3 also 
used to talk about our regeneration, right? But he uses this word regeneration in a completely different way than it had ever been used before. You see, in Jesus's day, most people viewed history like a cycle, like a circle. Now, us as Westerners view history linearly, right? There's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. But in the first century, they would refer to the world as cyclical. And essentially what would happen is that there would be some sort of major cataclysmic event that would cleanse the world of evil, right? In, in a first century person's thought process, there has been some sort of cataclysmic event that has cleansed the world, but then evil begins to creep back in and it gets worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, boom, we have to do a hard reset of the world again. And then it would just go back and forth over and over and over again. There was always a hope that there would, there would be a renewal of the world and there was always disappointment for this not happening. And it, the, the kind of philosophy back then was it was like restarting a computer. It's like unplugging a computer, restarting it, and having it start back up again, only to have the same core problems. That term was called regeneration. That's how a first century Roman or Jewish person would have understood that word. But Jesus says that in the regeneration of all things, that there's going to be a definitive conclusion to human history. He doesn't use that word like a cyclical cycle, but he says that all of history is moving towards an end point, towards a period at the end of the sentence. What Jesus is saying is that there will be a final definitive conclusion to human history where he will rule and reign in the world where those who follow him will inherit eternal life, a forever life, a forever renewal. And he's saying that history is moving towards a conclusion. And in that conclusion, Jesus is Lord over the universe, and he will bring the renewal of all things. My friends, Jesus is completely reversing the entire philosophy of his day. He's saying that there is a final definitive conclusion to human history. Not a cycle where we have to work harder to make the next time better. That we can truly be born again, that the work is complete, and that you and I can rest. And you see, when we choose to follow Jesus, we have an infinite hope for the future because we are going someplace with Jesus. Like we're moving with Jesus to a conclusion. And we know the end of the story and the end of the journey, and it ends with global regeneration, global renewal. One day in the future, there will be a cumulative event that will conclude all of human history. Jesus will restore and renew all things. The full expression of his love and power will be displayed. And my friends, anyone that chooses to follow Jesus will participate in this new world, fully restored, and will experience life eternal. And here's the beauty of it. If you choose to follow Jesus, Today, in the here and now, you have that same power that he is going to renew the entire universe with. You have that same power residing inside of you. Look with me again at Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit 
My friends, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, which doesn't mean you saw Jesus on a flannel graph in Sunday school. That means that you actually have heard this message, you believe that it's true for you, and you have obeyed Jesus by making him Lord over your life. If you are a Christian, you already have the universe-altering, renewing, regenerating power of God inside of you today. This is our current hope. And this is why we make Jesus Lord over our lives. This is why we follow him. This is why Jesus alive can change our present. And we know that it will also change our eternity as we follow him. And the question that I have for you on this Easter morning is, do you believe this? This is the one question in your life that is the most important question that you will ever answer. Because if you believe this, then you will obey Jesus and make him Lord over your life and be changed. If you don't believe this, you are at risk of being separated from God for eternity. And my friends, I want to encourage you. I want you to experience this renewal within you. I want to experience the regenerating power of God himself residing in you today. And it is only because of the life of Jesus. It is only because Jesus is now alive. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.